0: Wonderful to be in church. Well, we've been doing a series uh, started by Pastor Jim and then followed by Pastor Pavey. Um, Series titled "The Bright and Morning Star." Yeah, and it's my turn to speak on that on that same series, but to the title "Seeking Jesus, the Christmas Star." Now, uh, we've only got three verses or the textual textual reading, only three verses, and uh, we'll just go straight into reading those three verses starting from Matthew 2, verse 7. So we'll have verses 7, 8, and 9. Short, brief, to the point. Then Herod summoned the wise men, that's assuming Most of us would have heard of this story of the wise men traveling from the east to Jerusalem. So, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him bring me word that i too may come and worship him verse 9 after listening to the king they went on their way and behold the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was now to understand This passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 2, we need to understand a little bit about Matthew and his motivation in writing that gospel. So, this morning, I want to deal with three things. I want to ask the question what? So, the first question is what's Matthew's main emphasis? What is What keeps him awake at night? What's this about Matthew? What's his main emphasis? Then, we're gonna talk about what's the big deal? What's the big deal about this emphasis that he's making? And finally, we're gonna ask that question. What's the only best response? What's the only right response? So firstly, What's Matthew's main emphasis? When Matthew wrote this gospel, his main aim is to talk about the kingship of Jesus. Matthew is not so much concerned about uh, him being a servant, but Matthew is concerned about Jesus being seen as king. Because this king will bring salvation to the Jews, and not just to the Jews, but to all the nations on earth because he's going to establish the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And if you've got a kingdom of God, what have you got? A king who is God. That's what Matthew is keen to emphasize. That's Matthew's emphasis. This king coming is God. Whilst Matthew really likes to emphasize the divinity of this babe this Christ he's also wanting to to uh, promote his humanity he's interested in Jesus being human so what Matthew is on about is this Jesus in Bethlehem is fully man and fully God. That, that's his main motivation in telling uh, his audience, fully man and fully God. You, you look right at the end of chapter 1 in his gospel, he says this, Matthew 1, 21 to 23, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this will all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Fully man, fully God. In just these two verse, three verses here, fully man, fully God. Fully man, someone gave birth to him. Human. Just like all of us, he had a human mother, like you, like me. He was conceived in the womb of a human mother, like you, like me. In fact, the term born and birth, they're mentioned eight times in Matthew chapter 1 and 2. Matthew is really, really trying to emphasize this child Jesus is fully human. And then he says, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. In other words, he is God. Emmanuel, God with us. Fully God. The wise men came bearing gifts, and they, what did they do? They worshipped him. Only God receives worship. Mind you, they did not worship Mary, and that's a telling point. They worshipped the baby Jesus. Why? Fully man, fully God. Matthew chapter 2, verse 6, which we didn't we didn't read, but Matthew 2, 6 quotes Micah. Five, two, and I'll read this out to you. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Now, that's fairly old English, but the New Living Translation says, whose origins is from a distant past. I don't think that quite really push it to the beginning of time and beyond because the, the elegance of the, the King James and the New King James says his, uh, his going forth is from everlasting. Now that's a telling word again. He is from eternity past. In other words, he is God. This baby is God. Matthew says, man fully. God fully about this baby Jesus. Here's another thing about Matthew. He says, He has come, this baby, in fulfillment of Scripture. Twelve times in his two chapters, twelve times, or in the entire book of Matthew, twelve times he says, in fulfillment of the Scriptures. In relation to Jesus being born in Bethlehem. These words, to fulfill, was fulfilled, is fulfilled, should be fulfilled. They were all mentioned in his gospel to show, look no further. This is the one. He is the one coming in fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. Then we come to the Magi. Why the Magi? The Magi story is the only story recorded in the entire New Testament. And only Matthew records it. No other gospel writer speaks about the Magi. Only Matthew. We, we should ask why. Well, what about this? There's, there's a lot of speculations. Do not entertain speculations, okay? Paul says, do not just speculate about this and that. Let's found our faith on the word of God, but so we're not going to delve into who they are and whatever, but here's a little thing about the Magi, the wise men. Some 500 years before Jesus, Daniel and a few of his friends were exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon. In Babylon, there were You got it, wise men. And uh, the king Nebuchadnezzar had a dream whom none of the wise men could interpret. And so word got to Daniel and Daniel eventually was able to interpret the dream and Daniel stopped the king from executing the wise men who failed in telling him the meaning of the dream. And so you can see that uh, Daniel had some affinity with the wise men of Babylon, people of the East. And uh, back in those days, Daniel was elevated, and the Bible tells us he became the chief among the wise men. In Daniel chapter 9, One day, Daniel was praying and confessing his sins and so on, and he said, Lord, we, Israel, we have abandoned you. We have sinned, me and my my people. And as he was praying and confessing his sins, the angel Gabriel appeared to him. And gave him a prophetic word, and I'm going to read that those few verses which are hard to understand for anyone, extremely hard. But we need to read because it's in the Bible. So I'm going to read it shortly. Um, yeah. But before that, let me read the verse that's before verse 25, which is. Not on the screen, but it's okay. I'm not wanting it on the screen. So I'll just read this to you. This is the prophecy that came to Daniel. 70, verse 24, which is before that. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem, which was through King Artaxerxes around 450 something BC, and to the coming of an anointed one, A prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks, it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off, put to death, executed, and shall have nothing abandoned by God. That's nothing. So that's the prophecy given to Daniel. Now a lot of scholars are, are united in, in their agreement that this is a prophecy concerning the cutting off the crucifixion, the execution of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when you take weeks here in old Hebrews in, in Old Hebrew stands for a unit of seven. So 62 weeks and, and, and seven weeks and so on. Anyway, the, the thing is, it is 483 years. And when you count and so on, scholars did that. And they say it's around 30 AD. 30 AD, this anointed one will be cut off. So Daniel wrote this down. Now, It is not inconceivable, because being the chief of the wise men, Daniel would have introduced a lot of having gained respect and so on. He would have introduced a lot of the Old Testament scriptures to a people whom the scriptures had not been given directly. And amongst those writings, it is not inconceivable to believe would be this portion of the prophecy. So when a star came out round about 4 BC, roughly, the wise men from the east looked and they said, let's let's search, this is what Daniel wrote hundreds of years ago, this must be him. They came with the conviction, this is the savior. What is Matthew's push? What is Matthew's major thrust? This baby born in Bethlehem, this is him. This is the one prophesied. He has come in fulfillment of the prophecies of old. Even to a people whom the scriptures had not been directly given. Even they who learned the truth and obeyed the truth from a people who had been given The scriptures directly, even they have come in search of this king to worship him. Sadly, those who were directly given the scriptures, like the chief priests and the scribes, they could understand, they could say, King Herod, this baby born would be born in Bethlehem. Because why? The scriptures say so. But they don't believe. They don't obey. They know the ins and out of scripture. So that is Matthew's major thrust. That's Matthew's main emphasis. He's God. He's fully man. And uh, he came in fulfillment of scripture. There's no need to look for another. There's no need to wait. This is him. And even the Magi came running because of some words from scripture. What's the big deal? We need to ask the next question, what? What's the big deal? Well, here's the big deal. Because he came as God and man, we now have a savior. We now have a savior. We're free from any charge of offense against God. All of our offenses against God, null and void. Declared, dropped, charges dropped. We have acquittal at the judgment seat of God. We have righteousness imparted. We're free from condemnation. Eternal salvation is our portion. We're made right with God. That's the big deal. It is a big deal. And some, I think we ought to know this name. And some. It's an old. European name, meaning God is my helmet, Anselm. Anselm was a Italian monk and priest living in Normandy, France in the 1100s, late 1100s. That's about a 1,000 years close to ago. He was selected to be the Archbishop of Canterbury in England. And he was reluctant, but they plucked him out from France and they put him there, regardless. And these are three things that came out of Anselm amongst many. Let me quickly say them to us. Man owed a debt to God due to sin. Simple. Man owed a debt to God due to sin. Number two, because man owed this debt, Payment against sin has to be made by man. God is a God of justice. Man sin, man has to pay. Number three, but the debt was so, so great while man alone owed God the debt, only God could pay it. And that's why We need a God-man. That's the reason why. That's the big deal. We need a God-man. Hebrews 2.18 will be on the screen shortly. But before that, I'm going to read Hebrews 2.17. So it's okay. I'll read it. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for sin. In our propitiation, we need to know that word. Don't ever say it too hard. We need to learn that word. Propitiation means God's anger. And God's an angry God. God is a strict God. God is a vengeful God. God's anger through the propitiation of Jesus Christ. God's anger has been, what's that word, turned away. Satisfied, that's the word, satisfied. God says, I'm satisfied. This price was so high, nobody can pay it, but God, my son, paid it. I'm satisfied. So... He had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Therefore, he had to be a man. That's the reason why. Now we come to Hebrews 2.18. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those when tempted. We've got such a wonderful, wonderful God man as our savior he understands everything we go through he understands the pain he, he bore in his body body more than all the pain that all of us combined would have experienced because on the cross he took on all the hideous and and foul sins of mankind combined that's awful he went through all of that One time, several months ago, I overheard Becky reading a children's science book to one of our grandkids. And I was just doing my own thing, and she was reading to one of the kids, and something caught my attention. And it was a science book, but for children. And it says, the sun is so big, the sun is so big that it it could contain 1.3 million earths. When I heard that, I thought, you're kidding me? I mean, I don't doubt my wife at all. I I, I fully, she's 100% trustworthy. I'm serious. Trust me on that. But I had doubts about the children's science book. So... But 1.3 million Earths fitting into this. That's huge. That's huge by any count. So I went back, and I checked NASA. I checked some reputable science sites. (laughs) True enough, 1.3 million. No kidding. And then I went further. Well, this is interesting. I knew nothing about astronomy. This is interesting. Here's what I found out. Everyone look at the palm of your hand. Imagine I've got a tiny grain of sand, and I drop it right in the middle of the palm of my hand. That tiny, tiny grain of sand represents the sun. And this is to scale, all right? This is to scale, Okay. that tiny grain of sand is the sun your palm is the galaxy uh, is the solar system sorry the solar system there are eight planets and other stars there are eight planets orbiting round the sun so and the palm represents the solar system that's to scale that's to scale all right the solar system belongs to the galaxy called, our galaxy called the Milky Way. To scale, get solar system, sun. The Milky Way stretches from Perth to Brisbane, Darwin to Adelaide, all of Australia. That's the Milky Way. This is to scale. Scientists tell us, They cannot observe the entire universe. The universe is way, way beyond the Milky Way. They cannot because the best observatories that we do have now is only scratching the surface. Less than 10% of the observable universe, they say, observable. That's that's a good cop-out. Observable universe. And in the observable universe, there are Two trillion galaxies. Two trillion Milky Way. This is just mind-boggling. And I keep looking at the sun. And then I keep looking at 1.3 million earths inside. And how big is Brisbane? A tiny cell inside that grain of sand. Why do I say this? Well, King Jesus made... All this. He is king. He made, he designed all this. All the stars, all the constellations, all the galaxies in their motion, in their orbits, in their movements are so coordinated. None of them, to our knowledge, none of them crashes onto Earth or Neptune or Pluto or. What have you? None. Everything is in perfect order. You know why? The Bible tells us he upholds the universe. He upholds the universe. And you know, God could have said, You got a problem? I'm sorry, I'm too busy trying to. Neptune is running out of hydrogen. I need to pump a little bit more from Saturn. I'm sorry, I can't attend to your problems. God never says that. Never. He never says that. Look at some examples here. Matthew chapter 2. Joseph was about to divorce Mary. He said, I've got a huge problem here, a huge scandal. My my fiancé is pregnant. I'm not the father. I'm not responsible for that. How can I handle this? I'm in a terrible mess. Mary, who's going to believe me? That an angel came, an angel came to me, you naughty girl. (laughs) Who's going to believe me? When they were going through that troubled time, what happened? God sent a messenger to Joseph. Don't divorce Mary. What she has conceived inside is from the Holy Spirit. You shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. God is busy with the universe he's got time for us look at this other thing the magi found the child and he was and herod did a deal you go find the child you go find him tell me come back tell me i'll go and worship when the magi were about to return to jerusalem an angel appeared to them and said don't go back Something foul is going to happen to you. Don't go back. And so being warned, they went home by another way. God is not too busy. Look at Herod found out that this child is about two years old at max, maximum two years. So he gives an edict. Every child, male, two years and below, kill them. And before that could happen, an angel came to Joseph again. Ah, God is never too busy, and, and God said through the angel, take your child, take your wife, go to Egypt. And you know, they, they got all the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And with that, some people say, some scholars say, through these rich gifts, Joseph was able to finance that sojourn in Egypt until they returned back to Canaan. So God is never too busy running the universe. What's the big deal? If he rules the universe with all the innumerable stars and galaxies, he can rule your life. He can run your life. I want the Savior. What a big deal. Acquittal at the judgment seat. Proclaimed righteous. No more condemnation. And he's got time for me, this God-man. What's the big deal? So finally, what is the last what? What is the only right response? What is our only right response? Well, there are several responses. Let me give you one. The right response is this. Welcome him as king. Welcome him as king. Just like the Magi seek him obey him, love him. He's your number one love. No one else. Matthew uses the term kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God 35 times. Much, much more than all the other three gospel writers combined. His emphasis is, if you've come into the kingdom of God, you need to make him king. He's got to be king of your life. He's got to be king. In other words, we should have a new set of character traits. We should have new dreams and passions and visions and goals. We should ditch those old character traits that have been lingering on, hanging on to our heels. Ditch them. Be finished with transgression. Put an end to sin. Get rid of things that you need to get rid of. This is the only right response. This is the only right response. Make him king. Well, here's another response. Uh, Relatively few people do that, you know. Because I'll share this. It's okay. I get quite, I'm like Roger a little bit this morning. I'm quite uptight. No, I I better not share this. No, no, no. Shut up, Ken. Yes, I can say shut up to myself. Not you. (laughs) Here's another thing that we can respond. We can reject him. And most people do. Most people do they reject Jesus. Brisbane has a population of how many people? Two million people. How many Christians are in church this morning? Most people reject him. They do. Men like Herod, men like the priests and the scribes, the King of Kings, Jesus wants to save us and them, and they reject him. They want to remain in their sin. You know what sin? Sin is the reason for all the calamities in the world today. That's sin. Sin is saying, I don't need to care about God. Sin is actually pleased that God keeps his distance. That's sin. That's sin. Sin is breathing the air and the food that God supplies and then carry on living as if he hadn't come in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. That's sin. We're not prepared to step down from the throne of our lives and let him be king. You know, he's pleading for us. He's pleading, leave your sin behind. He's saying, stop disobeying me. Stop rejecting and stop ignoring and stop dismissing me. That's his message. You know why? To reject him is a serious mistake. A most gross serious mistake. It's abhorrent. It's an offense to God Almighty. And so, most people reject him. And then that's a third way to respond to him. This is to pretend to welcome him. Uh-huh. And most people do that too. They pretend. Look at Matthew 2 verse 8. That, that scripture we read right at the start. And it, it goes like this. Matthew 2 8. Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I may... Go and worship him too. Ah, pretense. The great pretender. That's Herod. Herod is public hypocrite number one. That's who he is. He wanted to kill Jesus, but he say, go look for him. When you find him, I'll come and worship him too. You know, Matthew, Matthew is the one amongst all four gospel writers who denounces hypocrisy the most. He is most among all four writers up against hypocrites. This is what he said about the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the others. He said, you're blind guides whitewashed tombs, brood of vipers, snakes. That's, that's harsh words, but he denounces hypocrisy. And this is Herod. You know, Herod's, Herod is concerned about Jesus coming, yes. He's concerned, but he's concerned about what Jesus' coming would do to his position and to his his status and to his plans and, and so on. And so are many supposed Christians today, sadly. There are hypocrites in church, yes. There are, oh, we shouldn't say that, but yes, there are hypocrites. Jesus is coming, Jesus has come, and his coming is threatening. He's a threat to our autonomy. We want to be the captain of our souls. We, we want to be in charge. So, these are the few responses, but there's only one right one, which is, welcome him and say, King Jesus. Bow to him. If you're not saved today, I'm closing. If you're not saved today, believe the word of the scriptures believe the prophecies that were given. Matthew made it such a, he got so worked up, he said, in fulfillment of the scriptures, this this fulfilled the scriptures 2,000 years ago that night. Bring him in as your king. There is pardon for sin. There is eternal life for you. Accept him as Lord. For Christians, you know, this Christmas star that we are, celebrating the Lord Jesus Christ, He's both shining hope and inescapable responsibility. We cannot shun our responsibility. We we cannot shake it off. It is incomprehensible that we, having known the truth about him being king, would continue wanting to take back the controls to say, Lord Jesus, Stay out. I know we struggle with that. I know that. But we need to crown him every day and remind ourselves he is king. For Christmas this year, may I encourage us, let the Christmas star shine bright as king. He is king and king indeed. Can I pray for us? And if some of us have yet to receive Jesus, do not let 2021 pass by. We will not know what 2022 would bring. The Bible tells us today is the day of salvation. Take Jesus in. Don't just take him in because it's fashionable. Take him in as king, as he rightly demanded he demands to be king lord we thank you that you've come you've invaded our our space and time you've come in as king but as one of us as one of us because you understand us and you've got time for us and and only god only as god can you make the payment for our sin, and we thank you for that. We thank you. And Lord, I pray, folks who do not know you, they will come to know you. They will come to take you in as Savior. And folks who do know you, Lord, they will make this Christmas a time to make this a new resolve within to live for you as king, as king in their lives, that they would seek you as king. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening today. I hope you subscribe to the podcast so you can be inspired weekly. God bless and have a great day.